And welcome to episode two of the Wolves After Dark podcast. The preseason is about as valuable in determining long-term opinions as the presidential debates were for determining which candidate you were going to vote for this year. However, there were some good things that we can take away from what we saw, especially towards the latter half of the preseason. We saw that Carl Anthony Towns, as we all expected, is going to be an absolute force this year. It's hard to get a sense of how he's going to fit in or what the offense is necessarily going to look like because we had Wiggins being out for the majority of the meaningful preseason games with that allergic reaction. But we also got to see a little bit from Chris Dunn, what he's going to look like and what his role is going to be, at least initially. He's going to come off the bench, but it looks like he is going to play a lot of minutes. I'm looking at 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and he, it looks like he will play a little bit with Rubio and especially more so with Levine. What did you see from Chris Dunn early? What did you like? What didn't you like? Well, from Chris Dunn, the thing that I liked most was his defense, obviously. Um, I think that his jumper still needs a little bit of work. We saw that, especially in the later games that he played there in the in the last couple of games of the preseason there. It still does need a little bit of work, but defensively, he is as advertised. Uh, he's, you know, he still had a struggle every now and again, um, but from what I saw, he was able to keep up with all of those quicker guards and such. And uh, he really did. He did a great job. I think he's going to fit in really well with Thibodeau's system, especially as that that backup point guard coming right off the bench there. He's going to really lead that second unit, and that's something that he showed in the preseason, something I'm really excited to see tonight. And, you know, I think he did get better progressively as the preseason went on, especially that last game against Charlotte. He was anticipating passes from Kemba Walker, who's a fringe all-star type guy. He's He was quicker. He's explosive. He's definitely strong. I mean, he outbodied everybody in the middle of the lane, and he directed the offense, so I was encouraged on both ends of the floor, especially at how he progressed uh, in the second half. And, you know, he's going to get a lot of playing time because even though they kept four point guards, I-, I don't see Tyus getting in a whole bunch lately. There's even been rumors that they're looking to trade him, which Tibbs and Layden don't have any any affiliation with him per se. I think his uh, jump shot will be slow to go, at least in the first half of this year, but that defensive presence is already there right from the start, and he's going to lead out in transition. And, man, I tell you, when he's paired with Levine, that point guard, that there's going to be a lot of scoring, a lot of dynamic. There's going to be some dunks. There's going to be some fast breaks. And when you get Towns in the trailer, just look out because there's going to be some celebrating happening off of those fast breaks. The thing that you touched on there uh, that I really like, too, is the fact that he was able to to keep up physically with a lot of those guys. He was able to, when he drove the lane and such, he was able to finish at the hoop even with the contact, and that's something that we've seen Rubio struggle with in the past. He hasn't been able to finish with contact. Rubio's gotten better at it, but this is something that Chris Dunn, he came in right away, takes the contact, and he finishes at the hoop, and that's something that is going to be really, really, really helpful for them going forward. And as you said, he's playing defense at a veteran level already. He's anticipating passes. He's getting. He's got long arms, so he's getting in the way of passing lanes and that sort of thing, and while his offensive game may uh, be a work in progress, his defensive game is what we all hoped Andrew Wiggins would be right away. And I don't know whether that's Tibbs just having him in better positions to be successful. It'll be interesting if, to see if Wiggins can do the same early in the season. But I'm, a, I'm very excited about the improvements that they can make on defense, especially in that second unit, that uh, off-the-bench unit early in the season. Um, I want to talk quickly about Rubio. Was it just me, or did he seem much more aggressive around the rim than at any point I've seen essentially – since his rookie year in the NBA. Definitely much more aggressive. Yeah, I loved the way he was driving to the hoop. I mean, you look at the you look at him and, you know, like I just touched on before, he's not a guy that's been able to finish at the rim very well throughout the first couple of years of his career. And I think in a way that's kind of detracted him from doing so. He's been he's been settling for a lot of pull-up jumpers trying to, you know, get better at that. And for a guy that shoots, you know, subpar our 40% yeah, on, a on a good, good year. Yeah, on a good year. Uh, but 
for a guy like that to, to be more aggressive, try to get in there more and create offense that way, that is going to open up so much. And that's something that I really like seeing from him throughout the preseason. And, you know, with Wiggins being out, Rush was on the co- or on the court for a lot of the times that he was making those. You wonder if that doesn't have something to do with the lane being a little more open with Rush pulling away defenders, allowing him to make those quick cuts and have a little more space to finish at the basket without that big guy that always gave him so much trouble finishing there. Yeah, and I think that's going to be really helpful too. If Rush can be that you know seventh, eighth guy off the bench, then he's going to provide them a lot of quality minutes because he's going to open up lanes like that for guys like Chris Dunn, like Ricky Rubio to drive in there and get those easy buckets. I agree with you 100%. So the meat of today's episode is going to be breaking down some over-under for the Wolves, uh, the Wolves as a team, the Wolves as individuals. And so we'll break right into it. Obviously, the one we want to start with first and foremost is wins. The Westgate Sportsbook has them predict, or projected to win 41.5 uh, 41.5 games just outside of the playoffs this year. Uh, how do you see that coming to fruition over or under 41.5 wins? 41.5 wins is a very good number. It is. It's a tough number to kind of go above or below. I'm going to go just a little bit over, though. I really do. I, I like this talent that they have. This is a very, very good team that has a lot of talent on it, and if they can just put it all together, they could have a very good playoff contending team. You look at what they did in the preseason, especially on defense, defensive rating tied for second in the league, uh, blocks per game. They were third at 6.7 per game. I mean, that's that's insane. Points allowed, they were fourth at 94.6. I mean, this is a team that defensively we know is going to be a lot better. They're going to be very sound on that department. Um, and then you include the fact that you've got another year of maturation from Carl Anthony Towns, from Wiggins, from Levine, all of these guys here. I think that this team goes over 41 wins. I got them somewhere around 45 to 46 wins. How about you? I've been on the record saying that they would win 45 and 46 games, so I am right in lockstep with you there. They won 29 games last year, and the best improvement in recent memory is the Oklahoma City team in Durant's third year and Russell uh, Westbrook's second year. They went from 22 wins to 50 wins that year. And projecting anything more than 45 or 46 seems overly ambitious. We also have to factor in that they have to stay entirely healthy because if one of their if Towns, Wiggins, or Levine go down, uh, they're in for a rocky road. They lose a major piece. The reasons I think that they are going to win 45 games and finish in that 7th, 8th spot in the Western Conference, and if all things fall right, maybe even the 6th spot, is, well, it's a multitude of reasons. One, it, it starts and stops with Thibodeau. He is, I'm sorry, Sam Mitchell, tough situation. He's a good coach of veteran players, but he's not the player developer or the schematic type coach that Tibbs is. And he is going to elevate their play, especially of Wiggins, Towns, and Levine early in the season. They're going to be in better spots defensively. They're going to be giving up less points per possession. They're going to be more efficient on offense. They're going to play in a style that matches the personnel out there. Also, their bench is categorically better than it was last year. Shabazz is going to thrive under Thibodeau, in my opinion. You've got Chris Dunn, which is a vast improvement on any of the guards you had last year. If you get any improvement from Bielitsa, that's gravy there. Aldrich is a defensive low block presence that you didn't have last year. Also, of course, you have the natural progression of Towns, uh, Wiggins, Levine, and hopefully a a little bit of improvement from Rubio. If nothing else, that he's more healthy than he has been pretty much at any point in his career outside of his rookie year. So that's the reason I think that they're going to be in the 45-46 win range. And again... If we do see Towns reach his upper potential, if Wiggins does start to become a more well-rounded player and Levine becomes a scorer we think he is, I don't think it's out of the question that they win 48 or 49 wins in the mold of that Oklahoma City team. They have more depth than even that Oklahoma City team did. Now, they had Harden, which is probably a better third piece because he did start to emerge then too. But, you know, we'll see what happens. The key is going to be if they can get off to a good start. If they can get off to a good start, then it puts all of those 
in lockstep with uh, you know a realistic possibility. If they start slow, if they start two and two and six or something like that, now they're on their heels. Now they're kind of reeling, and we can start to reevaluate what we think from there. But you know, no reason not to be optimistic at the beginning of the season. So why why wouldn't we be? Yeah, and let's just think really quickly too. Last season we had a couple losses uh, where they were young team losses yeah. where they make one little crucial mistake at the end. They don't do this or they do this wrong. And they end up losing the game because of it. Tom Thibodeau, very, very disciplined coach. He is not going to let that happen. Sure, I could see it happening, you know, maybe once or twice throughout the course of the year just because that that happens regardless of who's coaching. We've seen the Spurs do it at times, you know. There, there are mental errors that happen. But those mistakes will be minimized dramatically. And I think that Thibodeau himself is going to pull this team out of that young mindset and they're going to put them back in that we can finish ball games and we can finish them correctly so we can count on a lot of those losses last year where they were just stupid mistakes at the end where there were rough edges last year that's going to be the first thing that Thibodeau comes in and fixes he's going to have them doing all the right things to get the the little points here and there that add up to victories over time yep so the second one we're going to break down is uh points for the Wolves this year last year they averaged 102.4 points per game interesting stat I dug up is that their starting five actually scored more points per 100 possessions than did the Warriors starting lineup the problem with that is that they also gave up an astronomical amount of points and so that they were just barely a plus ratio. So I set personally the over-under at 103 points uh, this year. Uh, I'll give you my logic for that. While I do think that they are going to become more efficient in their scoring and in their offensive sets this year, I also think that the pace of play that they uh, play in many games is going to slow down a little bit. I think that Thibodeau is not necessarily the uh, wheel-and-deal coach that uh, – Sam Mitchell tended to be last year. I think that he's going to focus more on working through towns, allowing Wiggins to get into the paint, and then kicking out to guys like Levine, letting Rubio operate in the half court. So while I do think they're going to get out in transition and be more efficient because of it, I also think that the overall pace is going to be dictated by the game and not just freewheeling all the time for the sake of being freewheeling. And that also depends largely on the fact that they're going to play more lockdown defense, get those rebounds, and they're not going to necessarily get a chance to pull the ball out of the basket, chuck it down there, and you know run down and try and lay it in. What do you think? What, how what, do you see them over or under 103 points this year? 103 again is is like you had with the wins that I projected at 141.5. I mean points for 103. That's a very good number. I'm going to say just a little bit over, and the reason being is because you look at Tom Thibodeau's system back in Chicago, where when Derrick Rose went down, he built an entire offense around Joakim Noah. I see this team being able to run in so many different ways. If if one player is struggling, there are so many different options that you can go to. If Wiggins is having an off night, here's Zach Levine, here's Carl Anthony Towns. Heck, I, even Ricky Rubio, I think, could, could shoulder a little bit of that. You've got guys coming off the bench and Shabazz and Ricky. Gorgie is a solid scoring option that a lot of people forget about. I don't think a lot of people knew that he averaged double figures last year in points. So, I mean, that's that's humongous for him. His 18-foot jump shot is money for a guy his size. Absolutely. No, it is. And and, and he is a guy that I think that is very underrated on this team, just given the, the, the complete semblance of stars that they already have. So, so I'm going to say just a little bit over only because I love the talent. I love the scoring options that they have. And I think that Thibodeau will notice he'll be able to make those in-game adjustments where – if it's not Wiggins' night, that's fine. Wiggins will stay with 14, and Towns will go off for 28 or 30. It, it, there's a part of me that wants to just elevate all of their stats immediately because Thibodeau's there and because, you know, progression and hype and all of that sort of thing. Yep. But I also want to be cognizant of the fact that we don't know necessarily what Thibodeau's approach is going to be early, how he's going to run his sets, what his lineup roster is going to be, and also how are these guys are going to gel right away. So 
as much as I think that they're going to improve in most or all of these categories, I didn't want to be overly ambitious when setting these lines just for the sole sake of protectionism, egoism, whatever you want to call it. So that's why I'm here. I'm going to be the one that goes way above. So that way, when if they don't live up to it, everyone can come down on me and you'll look like the genius. Or when they do reach those high lofty <laughs> goals, you look like a genius. So let's break down points against. Last year, this was their Achilles heel, especially the second unit. They gave up 106 points per game. Not what you're looking for. I think this will be the most key stat to bring down if they are going to win and be competitive and reach those 46, 47, even more wins and a playoff seed this year. I I set the over-under at 102. This is mostly based on Tibbs' scheme and his ability to put players in the right place. You saw in the preseason that they were already more technically sound than they were at any point during the Sam Mitchell era. You have Levine closing out but not flying by guys that they were trapped in the corner and not wide open for an open three. You had Towns defending the weak side, getting blocks. Gorgie was contesting shots better than I've ever seen him contest before. That excited the heck out of me. Dunn already looks like, I mean, it looks like he has a master's degree in defense and he's working towards his Ph.D., he is going to be great from the get-go. I'm encouraged by what Thibodeau is going to be able to do with Wiggins on the on on the wing. I think Shabazz is going to thrive under Thibodeau, especially on the defensive end. He has so much energy, and Levine, frankly, can't be worse on defense than he has been for most of the past two years. So for those reasons, I think that they're going to make a massive leap in, on the defensive end, more so than we see early on on the offensive end. So I say they're going to improve by four points per game, and I set the over-under at 102 points per game. Where do you see it going in that case? Is it... I feel bad doing it because it's like I, it's almost like a push, but I'm going to say just a tiny bit under at like 101, about 100 points per game. The reason being, again, I love Thibodeau's scheme. I do. I think he's great. Obviously, you've seen what he did in Boston. You saw what he did in Chicago. He has the ability to take players and turn them into defensive lockdown players, and that's great. But we also have to look at what we're dealing with here. We've got Rubio, who's a fantastic defender. Wiggins, uh, Towns, great guys there. But Levine, he did struggle a little bit. Gorgie, although improved, you know, last season and has shown improvement throughout the preseason. Again, defense was never his thing. He was never, you know, the big rim protector, shot blocker. It wasn't like that in Louisville. It hasn't been like that in the NBA, even though he is getting better at it. Defensively off the bench, aside from Dunn, I mean, Muhammad is okay from what, you know, we've seen so far this preseason. Again, getting better, but not quite where we want him to be yet. So for that reason, I mean you got to look at who you're dealing with. And I'm going to say just for that reason alone, there will be improvement, but not the dramatic, dramatic improvement. I'll say probably around 101, maybe 100 points at best. See, this is where I'm actually going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say this is the one that I'm most confident in because he is going to have guys in position that they just weren't in. The rotation defense in the past two years was terrible so often. Part of the, what Tibbs does so well is that he does a great job of bringing weak side defense to plug up guys who get in the lane and rotating to guard guys out on the wing. He brings help side defense as well as anybody in the NBA. That was the tenant of his defensive schemes in in Boston, and he allowed guys to shoot 18-foot jump shots to their will because that's, as he knows better than anybody, the worst shot in basketball, statistically speaking. And so I, just by having guys that are more or just improving the basketball IQ and the defensive IQ of guys on the court, I think that they're going to make drastic improvements. That I think they, they're they in the 101 points per game, which would be almost a five-point improvement over their uh, over their points per game last year. And that's going to be the key to what brings them into the mid-40s and that sort of thing as long as they stay healthy. I thought you were going to say less than 100 there. I thought you were going to go way out and say they, you know, they break 100. I still think they're going to pay, play at a pace that 
and we'll talk about defensive efficiency numbers a little bit later. Yep. But I think they're going to play at a pace that allows them and other teams to get a little bit over 100 and play a little bit more high-scoring games. And that also seems to be where the league's going. They're in a conference that also has Golden State. They have Houston, and Houston by themselves might bring them up a couple, two, three points because they're going to score 130 points in a couple games. Moving right along here, let's talk about what the passing stats, what the assist numbers are going to look like this year. They averaged 23.4 assists last year. Uh, that's frankly not enough. Ruby had about eight and a half or nine of those uh, in most games. I think that they're going to see obvious improvement. The argument is how much of an improvement. I set the over-under at 25. It was a little conservative, especially because I think that their shooting capabilities from the three-point arc are so much better this year. Even Towns can space it out to 20 feet and even three-point range. The addition of Brandon Rush, as long as he stays healthy, I mean, that's a godsend for the second unit's three-point shooting capacity. Bielitsa has to be better. I know we keep coming back to Bielitsa, but he has to be better, at least from hitting one out of every three threes. That would be an improvement on last year consistently. I think we see an improvement in 25 assists. That also includes fast break assists, obviously, but Dunn is going to be a better passer than the backup situation last year. Andre Miller, God bless him, professor of basketball. But, I mean, are we going to see a huge uptick in assists and that we're talking about 27 per game? Or are we just going to see a more modest improvement because it's going to go through Carl Anthony Towns and it's going to be a little bit more driving, kick, and slashing that you don't necessarily get assists per se, but it's more of a hockey assist type thing? I, I honestly think that they can go up to about 27. I really do. And that's just because you have Rubio, who, again, could easily average double-digit assists. Um, but then people forget, I mean, Towns is an amazing passer. That's something that made him so valuable coming out of the draft was a big man who could pass and who had such great vision in his passing. He doesn't make those stupid passes, those dangerous passes where he's throwing between three guys or, you know, trying to kick it out. His size, his ability to to, to work the post and then kick it out, and then as well space the floor in that regard too. He's able to stand out there at that 18, 20-foot line there and be able to see the floor well, be able to pass inside and things like that. So he is a he is an amazing passer in that regard as well. You've got Dunn, who, coming off the bench, will... Probably not be Rubio-esque right off the bat, but he did show, you know, some flashes of some pretty great passing ability at Providence, so we'll look forward to that as well. I think overall, just just with the the offense that they're going to have, the lanes that they're going to open up, especially on fast break and things like that, I see them getting to around 27 assists per game there. The reason I was hesitant to bump it up that high is because they have three guys who are going to play significant minutes that I just don't trust to make meaningful improvements in their assist numbers. Levine is out there to score the basketball, and you know he's not a terrible passer, but he's not going to pass that much. The fact is he's out there to hit shots. Shabazz off the bench, he's not He's not a good passer. I'm, I'm sorry. No. He, he hustles more than anybody. He hits the glass as hard as anybody on the team. He's going to be a great energy guy off the bench, but that's what he is. He's not going to pump fake and throw the nifty pass to Towns for the dunk. And the guy I hope, hope, hope is going to see the biggest improvement in his passing ability and his passing willingness is Andrew Wiggins. Until I see it, though, I don't buy it because he's had two years and he really hasn't improved his passing ability. He's still under three and a half assists per game. And for a guy with his talent and his usage, he can't be, he's got to be at four, four and a half assists per game. And until I see that, I just cannot buy into the notion that they're going to make meaningful leaps and bounds. And let's remember that they did score a lot of points last year. And so by proxy, they had a decent amount of assists. They weren't they were in the upper half of the league. Offense was never their problem and you know offensive stats were never their problem. 
it was defense. So while I think that they're going to have better shooters that are going to just artificially raise their assist totals by making more shots, I also think that it's nebulous to predict too much in the interim before we see guys like Andrew Wiggins and Levine put in a few assist numbers, even with the development and increasing uh, statistical godsend that is Carl Anthony Towns. Just to back up your point, too, Andrew Wiggins last season, two assists per game was his average. Zach Levine, three assists per game. And then, sorry, Shabazz Muhammad is 0.6. Yeah, so to your to your credit, yeah, you are dealing with three guys who have yet to show sufficient progress in their passing games. So, you know, I, I in that regard, sure, I could totally see them falling in, you know, a little bit under that, but... Let's be optimistic. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the ever the optimist route, and I'm gonna say 27. I look forward to it because that means they're hitting a lot of shots, and Wiggins is finally getting. We're gonna talk more about Wiggins's rebounding and uh, assist capacity down the road. But man, if he can get those statistics up there, and for and they're in for one heck of an offense, in addition to what I predict will be a heck of an improved defense this year. So the next one we will move on to is team field goal percentage. They averaged 46.4 percent from the floor last year. That was actually seventh in the league, so not bad right away. I am basing the over-under on, again, Tibbs's basketball wizardry, and I'm going to set the over-under at 48%. Do you see them hitting the 48% mark, or am I being overly optimistic in that case? I'm going to say just a little bit of an optimist in this one. I know. I've been optimistic all day so far, picking the overs, but but I'm going to say just a little bit under. I don't see them being quite as efficient as that. I'd like, I'd love love for them to shoot 48%. That's 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 fantastic. Um, but I see them falling in kind of where they did last year, probably around the 46 47% mark. The biggest thing that I saw last season was there were times where they took poor shots, and I'm hoping that those have, you know, those shots have ceased counting those, and I see it falling in probably around 47%. Here's the reason I'm a little bit down on whether or not they can reach 48%. I think that they're actually going to shoot several more threes this year than they did last year and while those are technically better shots from a basketball theory perspective you also are not going to hit the same percentage of your three-point shots as you are your long or your mid-range twos and so that is even though they're better shots they're also they are not hit at the same percentage as those mid-range twos and that sort of thing so I think that they are going to see a little bit of a dip in field goal percentage I think they're still going to shoot better than last year because they're going to get better shots and they have better shooters than last year but I also think that they're going to play a different style of basketball, which will lend themselves to be just a little bit under that 48% mark. Leading into your next point, three-point percentage, do you think that the emphasis, because well, we, we, you, you listen to Thibodeau on, on Media Day, you listen to the players on Media Day, and their, their focus is we have to improve our three-point shooting. With such an emphasis on that, do you think that that could play such a huge role in, in, in forcing shots maybe, or is that something that Thibodeau will be able to just kind of keep under control. I think it depends a little bit on who's shooting them. I, I don't want to see Towns. I, I think he is going to develop three-point capabilities, but I don't want to see him pumping threes. I want to see him in the low block doing work. I'm optimistic that Wiggins is going to improve, but he's not suddenly going to go to this 38% three-point shooter. So I still want to see him. I want to see him use the three-point shot and make a few three-point shots to open up lanes for him to cut to the basket. Now, I am, I'm way up on Levine and Brandon Rush as three-point gunners that they haven't had in a long time. For good reason. I think Levine is going to be right up. I think he can. there's no reason he can't approach that 40% mark, especially because he's good off the dribble. He's good on the catch-and-shoot. There few guys in the NBA, they're usually good at one or the other. They can catch-and-shoot, or they can get that pull-up, and they're comfortable doing it that way. That's why Steph is a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, obviously, but what makes him so deadly is that he has that quick trigger off of that dribble 
that he can just knock down that three before anybody even gets a hand in his face. I think Levine can do both, and I think he's going to be right at the 40% mark, which just having him and Rush alone, they they didn't have a three-point shooter for the expanse of the season last year that was of the caliber of those two. And so that, I think, just by the... Surprisingly, Nemanja Vialica shot 38%, but most of that was bolstered by a few big games at the very beginning and the very end of the season last year. So I don't think that's a true representation of the overall flow of his three-point percentage. And I think he is going to get a little bit better just from being more comfortable this year. I think Dunn is going to get or become a better shooter as the season goes along. I don't think that's going to necessarily meaningfully uh, impact their total three-point percentage. But frankly, they were bad at three-point shooting last year. And just by improvements of the players and additions to the team, I think they're going to be better this year, courtesy mostly of Levine, a little bit of improvement from Bielitsa, and of course the addition of Brandon Rush on the second team. Last year, 33.8% from beyond the arc. That was 25th in the league. This year you got them projected at 35%, so you taking the over or the under? I think they're going to shoot, mark this down for the record, 35% uh, from the three-point arc this year. That's probably a little high because they still only have two really good shooters, and then I'm banking on a lot of people making improvements, but there's no re- they should be at that rate if they're going to be as good as we're projecting them to be in the West. I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go just a little bit under, just a, just a tiny bit under, somewhere around 34, high 34, low 35 percent. But you know, I, again, like you said, banking on a lot of guys to make threes. So we'll have to see if that actually happens. I just the reason I went. Optimistic, and we flipped roles here, and I went optimistic. Yep. They have the bench is going to shoot better from three this year than they did last year. Mark that down. That's a lead pipe lock, courtesy, if nothing else, that uh, Chris Dunn is going to shoot better than Andre Miller did. Well, he's going to shoot more than Andre Miller did, and Andre Miller barely shot. Yeah, that too. And Tyus didn't play at all last year, so his statistics weren't really meaningfully relevant. And especially Brandon Rush and Nemanja Bielitsa, they're going to be better three point shooters than anybody they had in the second unit last year, and. Shabazz was really bad from the three-point line last year. If he's even, even if he just shoots less and drives more to the basket, that will be beneficial to their three-point numbers. And that's why I went all the way into the 35, 35.5% range. What I really actually think is a bigger deal this year is how they guard the three-point line. Teams against them last year shot 35% from behind the line. Not actually that bad. They were 17th in the league, and I was very surprised by that because I maybe they just stick out because they were so bad. But there were a couple games where they would run right by guys. They'd give them the little head fake, take one step to the left, Nobody would be within 10 feet, and they would drain the threes. But I set them this year. This is a Thibodeau specialty. He runs guys off the line, and he helps guys in the lane. And he will give up, as I said, those mid-range deals. I said they're going to be two percentage points better. I put the over-under at 33%. Do you see them holding teams down that well? That would put them in the top 10, 12 in the league, depending on how if the league still progresses to get better at three-point shooting. But that would definitely put them near the top 10 or in the top 10 in uh, three-point defense. Do you see them improving that much coming into this year? I think we're actually going to agree on this because I do. I really do. I Like you said, the, the thing that Thibodeau does best is he drives them off that three-point line. He forces them to settle for a lot of 18-foot jumpers, and that's because once he drives them off that line, he gets good help, doesn't allow guys to drive, doesn't allow those guards to, to, to drive in, kind of pick apart the lane. He forces them to settle for 18-foot jumpers and things like that, and that is going to be humongous for the Timberwolves this season. So I see them settling in right around there, 33%, maybe a little bit higher, like 33 and a half. But, but they will definitely be much, much improved from last year. And they're working off of a decent foundation in terms of all the other things that were bad. Their problem last year was they gave up a lot of easy shots in the lane. Team shot 52% against them from two last year, which was 28th in the league. So 
that's another Tibbs is going to help that more because he brings help defense in a way that Sam never did. He plugs the lane with uh, rotation defense, and then guys rotate out to the wing to help out. So you'll see a lot more guys flying around, maybe more switching initially and then switching back as the possession goes around. But I think in a league that is becoming more and more dependent on the uh, made three-point basket, it's going to be important that they defend the three-point line even better than they did last year. And I have a lot of faith that between their athleticism and the sets that Thibodeau is going to run on defense, they'll be able to accomplish that. So here's where we get into a more esoteric discussion of statistics and where the Wolves are going to fall within the league this year. The first one we want to talk about is effective field goal percentage defense that they're going to play this year. To give you an idea of what effective field goal percentage is, three-pointers are weighted one and a half times what a two-point basket is, and a free throw is weighted at half of what a two-point basket is. And last year, teams shot 52.4% against them last year. To give an indication, the Warriors shot 56.3%, and the Wolves ranked 29th in the league. And this gets back to the central tenant that Thibodeau systems are going to improve in coordinate and will correlate with the natural progression of the athletic young guys that the Wolves have this year. And I think you can pair Chris Dunn right along with them because while he is a rookie and rookies tend to, you know, have a little bit of a learning curve, his his defensive IQ especially is higher than the average rookie. He's going to come right along with them. Wiggins is finally going to be able to utilize some of those defensive tools and metrics that we heard about all the time. Shabazz is still going to be a fiend out there if he can get his head on straight a little bit and not over-pursue out on the wing. These are all things that, along with uh, Tibbs' general sets that we talked about a little bit already, are going to improve their effective field goal against. I wanted to get to the central point of, are they going to be able to be in the top half of effective measures of their defensive capacity this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I think that they are going to be in the top half, and that's only because, if if nothing else, you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who is a terrific defender, and you've got Tom Thibodeau, who is a terrific defensive coach. So, from those two reasons alone, I mean, I think that that's going to improve their effective defense incredibly. Um, so just going off of those two guys, you'll get, you know, obvious improvement and stuff from the other guys. Um, their, their schemes that, that Thibodeau likes to run and such is going to help them out a lot, especially on the help defensive side. Um, that's really going to help them. So I, I see them being right around right around that mark there, top half, probably somewhere in like the probably 13th, 14th. That'd be huge. I, they literally would jump half of the league if they were able to do that. Here's the four reasons I think they're going to be better immediately on defense. Number one, the bench is going to be leaps and I, I know we keep coming back to the bench, but especially on defense, they are going to be orders of magnitude better than they were last year. Teams would go on like 25 to 10 runs all the time when they brought the second unit in, and part of it was that dang hockey shifting that Mitchell did that drove me crazy last nope. year. One, I, I doubt we see that at all this year, if, you know, absolutely minimally. But second, they've got defensive guys who are both more sound technically and better athletes than they were last year. Number two, Carl Anthony Towns was a good player last year, but especially early in the year, he was trying to figure out how to defend pick and rolls, and he didn't have guys around him who were helping him do it whatsoever. Now with defensive or better defensive sets and everything, he's going to be able to make more of an impact on the weak side, block more shots, contest more shots, and generally going to be the defensive force that he has the potential to be. That's the one thing I still think that he, in this league, he's going to be a good defensive player. I don't think he's going to be Anthony Davis great because Anthony Davis has such a nose for the ball. He is so good at blocking shots and things like that. Same thing with DeAndre Jordan. I don't think he will ever quite be up to their caliber, but he is so superior to them on offense. Even Anthony Davis, I think he has more tools in the tool bag, and he will eventually be able to move out to that three-point range that Anthony Davis has added in recent years. But we're talking about defense here, so I shouldn't stray too far. The third reason I think that they're going to be better is Gorgie. And I think that he, in past years, was getting out-muscled by bigger players, and guys were able to manipulate him to either draw a foul or to 
just you know make a lap around him. This year, I, I know I don't want to take too much from the preseason, but from all accounts of his offseason work and from the preseason, he's stronger. He's better positioned on defense. He's contesting shots without fouling. He's even getting hands on a few shots here and there. And I think that that is a central tenant to complementing Towns and allowing him to roam more on defense and that Gorgie can play that center anchor type thing and allow Carl to roam and switch and do all the things that we talked about him being such a utility and a tool and athletic specimen on defense. And number four, of course, is the bedrock. It's Tibbs' system. It's Tibbs' genius. It's his baby, the defensive side of the basketball. It's going to be better just by proxy. Sam is known more for being an, a player's coach, not necessarily an X's and O's coach. And he did some good things with getting the players to gel, to come together, to improve steadily, especially with guys like Levine and obviously Towns. But I think Thibodeau takes that to the next level and adds schemes that absolutely put them in positions to be great on defense, or at least good on defense. I'm nebulous as to whether they can jump half the league right away, just because there's more of an emph- Say what you will, there are a lot of people, even on our station, that will say that there's no defense played in basketball. Yep. Th- that's not true. There's more defense played in basketball today than there ever has been in the history of the league, without question. The athletes are better. Yeah, the reason it looks like they're not playing defense is because the shot-making is ridiculous. When Steph can pull up from 30 and knock it down, or James can do seven in-and-out dribbles, put it between his legs twice, and then throw it behind his back, and somehow it goes in. That's why shot percentages are up, and it looks like they're not playing defense. So I digress. I rest my case. But in essence, Tibbs is going to put them in better positions that they're just going to, by proxy, be better by all defensive metrics. And that's why we're going to see them be, in my prediction, between like 14 and 17. So why not be optimistic? I'm going to say that they just cracked that league average metric. They are an effective field goal rating of right around 50%, and that puts them in the top half of the league. Fair enough. So... Breaking down a few more of the deeper metrics, we're going to talk about offensive efficiency now. Offensive efficiency is a measure of how many points you score per 100 possessions and your pro- your general productivity with each possession measured over 100 possessions. And the Wolves had an offensive efficiency rating of 104.5 last year. That was 11th, getting back to the notion that they weren't bad offensively, especially the starting five. The starting five was excellent on offense last year, top five in the league. I set the over-under at 105, and let me tell you why. This is a metric of how efficient they are, not necessarily how many total points they're going to score. This is where I think uh, Tibbs is great at working his magic on offensive sets. He's going to utilize Towns in the high post to open up slashing lanes for Levine and Wiggins. He's going to utilize Rubio getting in the lane, driving and kicking to guys on the wing. He's going to utilize screen and roll sets that we haven't seen in this town for a long time, maybe since KG was setting the screens for Marbury or guard du jour that we have. Mike James. His sets are going to allow guys to maximize their natural talent, and I will touch on it once again, the metrics of the bench are going to be astronomically better than they were last year, which is going to, just by general talent increase, say nothing about Tibbs' capacity, is going to increase and improve the offensive efficiency rating that we saw between shifts last year. I'm glad you touched on the bench. Thank you. It's been a passion today. Yeah, obviously. no, I, that's that's the same reason I was going to go for. So yeah, absolutely. The bench is leaps and bounds better. Talent-wise, it is, is a lot better. So so I think that the, just having the bench itself be overall better, that's going to help their offensive efficiency dramatically. You you hit it right on the head there. And the other thing is they got a lot of points out in transition last year. They're going to get just as many points in transition this year. It's going to be those half-court sets that we're going to see increases. And so I, I was pretty conservative and only added a half point to their offensive efficiency rating just because I didn't know if Tibbs would play at a lower pace. Or Again, this comes back to because they're shooting more threes, they might show a slight or lower percentage, but I still think that 
all told and all collected that they're going to be able to improve their offensive efficiency numbers and it's probably going to be more than I set the over-under at, more than a half a point per 100 possessions. The real one, though, that we're going to have to improve on this year if we want to see those those big-time results is defensive efficiency. Last year, they gave up 103.5 points per 100 possessions. That ranked a measly 27th in the league. I'm setting the over-under at 100 because in Tibbs, I trust. In Tibbs, I trust. And in the new talent and in the bench depth, I trust. This gets back to the same tenants we've been touching on, but let's break down a little bit of what is actually going to allow them to improve on the defensive end from an X's and O's perspective. Last year when guys drove to the basket, one of two things happened. They stopped from about four feet, shot a floater, or drove all the way to the basket and dunked the ball over somebody, or got fouled, oftentimes got fouled. Or they brought two guys together. They absolutely collapsed on everybody. It was kick, kick, and it was a wide open three, or it was a guy from the coming in from the weak side, slashing to the basket, getting a dunk or a layup. Those are the things that don't happen and that Tibbs has done such an excellent job in his construction to prevent, he is well aware that he has he's going to funnel guys to the elbows and to those corner jump shots. When guys get in the lane, he's going to collapse two guys right there to stop them and make them get rid of the ball right away. And he's going to rotate to the guys around. So you're going to see guys flying around on, on the three-point arc and that sort of thing. And that's what's going to allow them to prevent guys from shooting those wide-open threes or those pump fake threes that we saw so often last year. And then he's going to have these brutal practices that we hear so much about. They're going to be in good enough shape that they're going to be able to rotate the open shot is going to be the Udonis Haslam classic 18-foot jump shot that he's made a living on for the Heat. And, you know, if we lose games on that shot alone, fine, we're going to be in good shape in the long run. So that's why, from an X's and O perspective, Tibbs is so good is that he funnels guys into the worst shots in basketball from a statistical perspective, and he has the horses to do it, especially if we can see major improvements in the defensive capacities of Levine and Wiggins and then the total team defense that we see in the starting lineup and then working in guys off the bench. You know, I could go through and, and reiterate everything that you just said, but you literally took every single word out of my mouth. I mean, this is this is Thibodeau's system here. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's done it for years. He has this just innate ability to understand defenses, to schematically plan for, for, for different offenses, different players, and he shuts them down. And and that's something that I think is going to be an absolute stronghold in this organization this season. You're going to see it a lot. The defensive efficiency, I think it goes much, much lower, this, or much, much higher, however you want to look at it. Um, I, I Again, I've got them somewhere around 100. That would put them in the playoffs firmly. If they can make improvements on the offense, or st- at least stay the same on offense and improve in efficiency off the bench on the offensive side and then improve the defense to that extent, that would cement them in playoff contention more so because it means they're beating the teams that they would be competing for. You know, are we being probably a touch optimistic, thinking that all of these are going to go well and that there's gonna, they're going to be injury-free and all of those things? Perhaps, but at the same time, we're not going to sit here and predict who's going to get injured because we don't have a long history of injury-prone guys. Aside from Rubio. Well, but that was a torn ACL and torn ligaments in his ankle and a broken foot. So those are real inju- like Real injuries, yeah. Injury-prone guys are guys who strain hamstrings all the time or... Sorry, Joe Maurer, who strain obliques like every other Tuesday. And, I, you know, I'm, an, I'm a Maurer bobo, but let's face it, he is a little bit fragile. Nope. I totally agree with you. I think if just if, if you were any Timberwolves fan out there who is listening to this, they would say Rubio is, is considered injury prone. Now, I agree with you. I don't think he is. I, I think that, you know, those are those are major injuries, things like that. But, you know, the, I'm sure there's a, there's a fair amount of fans who are like, well, Rubio is pretty injury prone. 
Well, we have a directive for the rest of the se- this season's podcast is to convince everybody that Rubio is not injury prone. <laughs> Rubio, it's on you now. Our work is done. All right, so now we're going to talk about a little bit of a, a couple over-unders for individuals on the team. The first one I wanted to bring up is a fun one. I think Carl Anthony Towns is going to finish fifth this year in the MVP voting, much in the way Joe Kim Noah did. Not by the same mechanism, because I think that he is going to have something to say about winning MVPs in the years to come. But I think this year, Towns is already ready, especially with Anthony Davis already missing time due to injury. I think he's going to be a point that they're going to make the playoffs in one of those lesser seeds, lower seeds, and he is going to finish fifth in the MVP balloting. What do you think? Do you think he can reach the fifth spot? I do not, and this is not a knock on Carl Anthony Towns. I think that Carl Anthony Towns is arguably one of the best players in the NBA right now. Uh, you you know you talk to certain players and stuff. You listen to to to, to different uh, GMs and stuff throughout the league. People know what Carl Anthony Towns can bring, and they know how talented he is. They know that he is going to be one of the faces of the NBA in two, three, maybe, you know, if you want to be a little bit pessimistic, we'll say five years. Um, But I do not see him being in the MVP voting this year, and I'll give you three reasons why. One, I don't know if the team is going to win enough. If it's an eight seed, a, a lot of teams or a lot of times the MVP goes to players on teams who are in the top half of the league and I just don't know if they're going to give it to a guy who's running as an eight, running with the eight seed, or even you know at best a seven seed. I just don't see that happening. Two, LeBron will get votes just because he is LeBron. It is, it's, it's how it goes. You know, much like the NFL MVPs, uh, it's, it's kind of a popularity contest at times. And although you know the NBA has done a really good job of basing it on merit, and, and I haven't had any issues with previous MVPs because you know the last couple of years, all the players that have won it have deserved it. But LeBron will will steal some votes that, you know, it's LeBron. And that's that's going to be kind of how it goes there. The other thing is is Russell Westbrook. And, and he is in such a unique position. And I love his position. I do. Last year, he was amazing. Um, Russell Westbrook has quickly become one of my favorite players. And I will say that as a diehard Timberwolves fan. But he is one of my favorite players because he does everything and anything. He is explosive. He has the ability to shoot, drive. He's a, he's a smaller guard, but he's got this innate uh, toughness to him. He can drive in the lane, take the contact, finish at the rim, and he finishes with such force, such aggression. I mean, he, there's nothing that this kid can't do. Now, a la no KD, this is his team. Before it was always, well, it's KD and Durant, or it's KD and Russ, KD and Russ. Now it's Russell Westbrook's team, and I see him. He's got the potential to average triple-double. He really does, let's be honest. So... For a guy like him, I think he's going to put up video game-esque numbers at times, and that could easily propel him if the Thunder do well, if the Thunder can, you know, approach that fourth seed in the West, which is going to be tough, especially given the the talent that's in the Western Conference, the talent that the Thunder have on their team, or, you know, some would argue lack thereof. I see Russell Westbrook having an amazing year and him putting himself firmly in the MVP conversation as well. So here are the uh, Vegas odds for who's going to win MVP this year. Russ, as you so eloquently stated, is two to one. LeBron is uh, four and a half to one. Same with Steph, KD, Harden, and Kawhi are all ten to one. Before I tell you why I think Towns does have a chance to finish fifth, not necessarily higher, because as you yeah, as you said, for, to really finish in the top two, even the top three, you have to be at the top. You have to definitely be in the top half of your conference. No questions asked. But I do think that voters for the MVP are becoming more savvy to analytics and statistics-based voting. And the reason that Westbrook might get a little bit of 
a little bit of flack from some voters is that his usage this year is going to be off the charts. It might be like something we haven't seen in the NBA since, you know, Wilt played and the, those that kind of era. He's going to shoot the ball 30 times a game. It, yep. His shooting percentages from three are going to be like 30%, and it's not going to matter because he's still going to make two and a half a game because he shoots so dang much of them. Exactly. So he's... It's like in baseball, a lot of guys are getting more more proxy to war and Bobip and all the uh, advanced analytics, that sort of thing. They're going to look at his effective field goal percentage. They're going to look at his usage compared to his actual total stats and that sort of thing. And perhaps if he's just gunning all the time, but they're not necessarily winning games, they finish sixth, they finish fifth. They're going to look at that and say, well, yeah, he had all these counting stats, but how effective was he really in tor- towards winning games versus just keeping them around or keeping them relevant? And while I do think that his... Number or his counting stats and his fantasy basketball capacity are going to be insane this year. I mean, you got to take him with either your first or second pick in your fantasy basketball draft. I do think that some people are going to dock him, especially the Zach Lowe type writers and the ESPN.com insider writers and the John Hollinger stat guys. They're gonna they're gonna dock him a little bit. I think the dark horse, the the guy who's underrated right now is James Harden. MVP bo- voters are notorious for not valuing defense in the. In the MVP balloting. We if, all know James Harden does not play defense. No, he does not. Does not want to, does not care to. No, he does not. <laughs> and with his offensive statistics, sometimes I can justify that he needs to catch his breath to keep playing <laughs> offense the way he does. But man, they're going to score so many points. The Rockets are going to score so many points, and they're going to give up just as many points this year. It's gonna, They are a league pass must-watch this year in the sense that they're going to shoot as many three. You thought that the 2013 Rockets shot a lot of threes. Oh they now added Ryan Anderson, who defense has been a myth for since he came into the league. Their only relevant defensive player, especially with Beverly now needing knee surgery. He, Clint Capella can plug up the lane, but who cares? They're all going to be open yep. on the three-point wing anyway. <laughs> so they're going to score. Oh, it's going to be fun to watch the 145, 138 games that they play in. Anyway. The reason I think Towns still has a chance to finish fifth is because he's going to get some third-place votes-ish from some people because his PER stats, his efficiency stats, and that sort of thing, he was in the company of like Tim Duncan, Shaq, and Hakeem Olajuwon in terms of uh, efficiency as a rookie. If a natural progression takes place that he improves those, he moves out, knocks down some threes, adds some blocks and that sort of thing, he's going to get the Anthony Davis second wind or tailwind of MVP voters. They're going to be... It's going to be fashionable, especially if they can sneak up into that sixth seed, that sort of thing. He's going to be the driving force behind that. They're the fun-running Timberwolves and that sort of thing. It will take a lot to go right, obviously, for him to finish fifth. But that's why I think that there is the at least the long-shot possibility that if you want to go to a Vegas and make a long-shot odds, he's not a terrible choice for the guy that you would make that pick or that better on. I can totally see that. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on. I don't want to dwell on Russ here. But I do have. I do have a question. Just. Just out of curiosity. Now, let's say that all goes. All goes for Russ, and and he ends up averaging, we'll say, twenty five points, nine rebounds, and eight assists. But his shooting percentage is sitting somewhere around thirty five percent you know he's he's struggling from threes and things like that but because he's shooting so much his 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 point totals are so high now if he shoots that low percentage wise but still manages to get them let's say a four seed does that does that take votes for for Westbrook to get MVP does that take some votes from Carl Anthony no because I think in that case he's he's getting first and second place votes. And I'm counting on Towns getting third place votes and enough second and third place votes that he, I, I don't think he gets a single first place vote for the record. What I'm what I'm counting on is that he gets the back end votes, the guys that finish in the latter half of the MVP voting, 
that that's what's going to bolster him to that later spot. I think it's going to be too much to overcome. Even Kawhi, I think, will finish well ahead of him in the MVP voting. I mean, his defensive capacity is insane. He's on track to keep improving. And his shooting stats are unbelievable for a guy who plays defense that well and is known as an athlete. You know, I don't think that he has any chance of finishing higher than fifth, for whatever it's worth. But in the same mold that what Joe Kim Noah did, he led an offense, he pioneered a team, he was the vocal leader and the statistical leader on the team. That's how he gets, that's his route to a fifth place finish, in my opinion. You touched on it too. Uh, and just as a note, I'm going to go on record right now and say that Dark Horse is an MVP. Watch out for Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if he's necessarily a Dark Horse at this point, given the fact that he is blowing up he blew up last year obviously everyone recognized his defensive talent one of the, he won defensive player of the year you look at um the the offensive stats he was putting up now with with Duncan gone you know you watched the game last night against the Warriors he took over the game he is a guy who can do it on both ends of the floor he is a guy that is absolutely arguably in my opinion I I think he's he's the best two-way player in the NBA right now so so he could easily be a dark horse candidate as well if he doesn't, he's you know he's going to be on a team that wins because they're the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich, and they always end up you know in the top three. But watch out for him to to definitely come into that MVP race, especially if if they start pushing Golden State for that one seed, which after last night is is definitely not about the question. I mean, you touched on it. He. He's so smart. He's so athletic. He's got so much length. It's like he can just extend his arm to grab whatever pass. That one where he he knew the out-of-bounds play that the Warriors were going to run last night. I mean, his film study is even elite. I, I can't argue with you that he is, if I were to lay long-distance odds on a guy, I mean, Westbrook 2-1 to one is a waste because, you know, you're not getting any good odds. He is the he or Harden, depending on Kawhi, really has to have a lot of the thirty plus point games to get him into the statistical region necessary yep. to get true MVP voting. But he did finish second last year to Steph, so it's not like it's out of the question or he's not in the voters' minds. It, it it'll be interesting to see what comes down. I I love Kawhi as a player, if nothing else. All right, now let's jump to a huge huge player for the Wolves this year. I still think he's the second best player on the team. There's been a lot of steam that Zach Levine is kind of supplanting Andrew Wiggins as a number two on this team. Sorry, I'm not buying it. He's Zach Levine is a great scorer. He's a great shooter. But in terms of a guy who, for the Wolves to be legitimate uh, world championship contenders in the next three, four years or so, the guy who is going to have to be the de facto number one A or two, probably in the case of Towns, is going to be Andrew Wiggins. And to take that next step, he is going to have to improve his counting stats in the rebounding and the assist categories. Last year, he averaged roughly 3.6 rebounds. I'm sorry. For a guy who is going to potentially be a superstar, just not enough. It's just not enough. I'm setting he has to average 3.5 assists, and I want him to average 4.5 rebounds this year. It, is it? I think he can get that rebound or those rebounding numbers in his sleep, and it, quite frankly, it's offensive that he doesn't get those. He doesn't have to get him on offense. I know he's got, trying to get back on the best defensive player all the time, but for goodness sakes, he's six eight. Just he yep. jumps out. He jumps through the gym. There's no reason that he can't collect five defensive rebounds per game. I'm setting the over-under on rebounds at 4.5, and I'm setting the over-under on assists at 3.5 just because I think he's going to be, one, kicking out to better shooters, and two, just he's going to develop as a passer, especially under a coach that is going to teach him how to pass. Both of those realistic metrics for him to cross this year? Absolutely. I think it is. And and we I don't want to harp on it too much because Wiggins is a great player. He did what he had to do last year, led the team in scoring 20.7 points a game. That's fantastic. That's exactly what we want. Obviously, you know, those we'd like to see if he wants to make that jump into superstar status, he'll have to go up a little bit higher point wise, too. But 
I don't see that being the necessary if they want success because you've got so many other scores on the team. As far as his assist and rebound numbers go, though, like you touched on, it is. It's almost offensive that he's not getting the rebounds because for a guy his size, for a guy who plays as great a defense as he does, for a guy who is athletic and as 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 we saw it more so la- towards the end of the year last year, but he 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 can he can bounce around down there. He can beat up on some guys in the post, and and to be able to have those abilities and not get and not get more than. 3.6 total rebounds a game. I mean, that's just not that's not acceptable. So I think that there's going to be a big emphasis on that this season for him. He already talked about it at you know media day, throughout training camp, things like that. He wants to improve those numbers. You touched on the fact that they're going to be kicking out to better shooters. Completely agree there. They're going to be much better shooters when their field goal percentage goes up. Ruby or um, Wiggins' assist numbers are going to go up. I see him probably around there. Uh, you know, three and a half assists, four and a half rebounds. I see him probably around those numbers. Um, but again, even if we can get him to three and a half assists and four and a half rebounds, that's that's miles better than where he was. Look, I'm generally I'm okay if he's scoring a bunch and he's being effective in his shooting and that sort of thing. I, I'm okay with three assists. That's not the end of the world. But the he's got to be at. I, I want him to see him at five or six rebounds per game. There's no reason that you're the guy who's going to play small forward for you this year should not have six rebounds, especially at the pace they're going to be playing at this year. That's a must for me, uh, for Andrew Wiggins to take the next step and really become the partner in crime, the Batman and Batman or Batman and Robin to Carl Anthony Towns this year. And, you know, the second piece of uh, Wiggins' development, this one more so on the offensive end, I think is for him to improve his three-point shooting at least so that he represents the threat of a three-point uh, three point shot so he can give that pump fake and then go blow by guys to the basket. Last year he made uh, .7 threes per game. 30% from the field, uh, you know, the league average was 35% last year. That's a weighted average of all the threes taken in the league last year. 30% is not, no, that's bad. I mean, LeBron shot worse than that. Russ shot worse than that. So you can be a good player with shooting under 30%. But let's face it, Andrew Wiggins is not yet Russ Westbrook or uh, LeBron James in stature or in basketball relevancy. So the key is that the reason I have hope that he can go over 35% this year and average over a three a game is guys in their third years often take big leaps. And it's often the summer, especially when you don't go play for the Canadian qualifying team, that you work, you improve your jump shot, you improve your efficiency, you become more well aware of your offensive surroundings, you increase your offensive repertoire. And I think I think he is has been in the gym just, just chucking shots all summer, and that, that that's going to pay dividends, especially as he sees more open threes with a better offense and better players around him and better offensive sets this year. I almost think that over one three is conservative. I only say that because I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to still favor slashing two shooting three pointers or three pointers regularly. But I mean, is there any reason that he won't eclipse one three per game at thirty five percent or thirty five percent from the three point field? I don't think so, and and that's. Okay, two things. First of all, I, I really do. I, I'm okay with the fact that he doesn't, if he doesn't average one three per game, as long as his field or his three point percentage goes up. Because, like you said, he does favor the slashing, getting to the lane, and that's fine. If he's going to do that, then I'm totally okay with that. But he needs to pose a threat because right now, if you look at the tail end of last season, teams were letting him shoot threes because they knew he wasn't going to make it, and that's fine. It's the same thing that they do with Rubio, you know. I mean, not to throw them in the same category three-point percentage-wise because Rubio is by far worse. No offense, Ricky Rubio, but um, but 
they were letting him shoot the three, and that's just not you can't have that from your two guards there. So that's a guy there who we we his percentage has got to go up. I love love the fact that you touched on every guy in their third year seemingly makes a humongous leap, and that's something that I'm really looking for in Andrew Wiggins. I really want to see him take that big leap in every facet of his game, but more specifically the three point percentage and such, because this is an area where you know if Levine is rolling behind the arc and you've got Wiggins rolling behind the arc. Carl Anthony Towns down low. I mean, that is going to help dramatically, especially when you've got guys coming off the bench that can shoot threes and things like that. So these are the biggest thing for me is going to be as long as his three point percentage goes up. I don't care how many threes he makes a game, but if he can get to thirty five, even above that, that would be ideal. I'd take that every day of the week. No, I agree. And two interesting tidbits. Number one. Through the first three quarters of the season last year, he was low twenties from the three. So he actually did shoot markedly better in the in the last quarter or so of last season, which is encouraging. And I, it's good. That's something that I think that's momentum he can build upon this summer in order to become relevant uh, from outside the arc. And a much maligned uh, statistic from Rubio: Yes, he's very bad at pull up anything. He's historically bad at pull up anything, and very bad at finishing around the rim. But his set shot three pointers are the one redeeming quality for him. He shoots like thirty six to thirty eight percent on set shot three pointers. Yep. So if you want to bash Rubio for shooting, be my guest. It's hard to defend that. But in terms of if you take nineteen forty set shots from beyond the arc, he is not awful, and that's saying something. So that was my transition, rough transition a little bit to what is Rubio's effective field goal percentage going to be this year? Uh, last year was 42.7%. That's uh, his best since the first half of his rookie season. I am One, I'm encouraged by what I saw in the preseason. And again, I think I told a bad joke at the beginning of the podcast that that was as relevant as the presidential debates this year. But at the same time, he was more aggressive, and I think that that's more a function of who he has around him and the schemes that they're running than it is necessarily that he's made some grand revelation. Just for reference, the uh, league average effective field goal percentage last year was 50.1%, and the high end was DeAndre Jordan at 70.3%, and interestingly enough, that's shooting in the mid-40s from the free throw line. So he really shot an insane—I mean, he exceeded he exceeded Dwight Howard numbers for dunks last year. Um Rubio is going to finish higher, I say around 44% for a couple reasons. One, he's going to catch more or catch and shoot more open three-pointers from the league, which I just or from the three-point line, which I just got done saying that he is that's really his only relevant stat. He he has to just progressively improve his jump shot. This is 2 years off the bad ankle, so I think that he's going to make a natural progression there. And three, if he made any progress in strength from the upper body or at least coordination around the rim, I think that he has to be better than historically bad at shooting layups. I probably shouldn't be that optimistic because I've seen so much data to say against it, but I'm going with the 44%, which, while still bad, wouldn't be in the historic territory. Uh, Is he still going to be just terrible shooting-wise, or are we going to see at least mild progression this year? No, I do agree with you. I think he's going to make another jump. And, you know, 42.7%, that's that's better than what we've seen in the past. I think he's going to only get better. And, you know, he talked about it again all through training camp. He wants to improve his shot. He knows, you know, that people are ripping on him because he's not averaging, you know, 15, 16 points a game, and that's what most point guards do and blah, 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 and that's fine. But, you know, he he's trying to improve his shot. He really is, and, and I think that just the, the work that he's put in over the summer, the, the amount of time that he has spent with different shooting coaches and stuff, the amount of time that he's spent working on it, 
And again, it's not just the twos, it's the threes, you know, working on driving to the lane. Um, he said, too, that he sees worked on, you know, finishing at the hoop a lot better. So he's, you know, hoping to be able to, to take more contact and finish at the rim. And that those are all improving, th- all very improving um, statistics there. So let's let, we can hope at least that, you know, 44%, again, like you said, it's still pretty bad. But I see him probably being just a little over 44%. At least that's the, the hopeful, optimistic side. Um, just given how much work he's put in and how much better he's going to be, especially given the fact that, you know, he's he's got guys like Wiggins, Towns, Levine, all these guys there that are playing a lot better. They've got another year of maturation under their belt. I see him doing a lot better. And, you know, the silver lining is that there are three other guys in the offensive lineup that are going to demand a lot of shots, and so he doesn't need to be shooting the ball a lot. He just needs to be some sort of relevant so that guys don't completely fall off of him and make it harder for other guys to especially slash through the lane. And every incremental little bit that he improves, or at least the perception that he's shooting better, is important for getting other guys more open lanes to, or more open shot attempts and more uh, open slashes to the basket. It's like Wiggins in the three. You just want to be, you just want to be a threat, and that's really all we're looking for from Rubio. You know, I mean, if he, if if if, if I can see him be a threat in any facet offensively from the from a jumper standpoint from his from his efficient field goal percentage there if i can see improvements there then i will take that every day of the week yep all right let's do some quick fire ones uh over under 26 minutes this year for dunn uh, just for a barometer uh seven rookies averaged more than 24 minutes last season uh you see him over or under 26 minutes i think he's going to be just a little bit under uh probably around that 20 20, somewhere between 22 and 24 minutes, especially early on until they can kind of figure out, you know, what they've got with their starting five and how many minutes they're going to need to play done. The seven rookies last year who played those over 24 minutes were all on categorically bad teams, and I don't think this team is categorically bad. So I yep. think he's going to be right at that 24, and so therefore I'm going to take the under 26. Uh, who's going to lead this team in points per game this year? Points per game, I think he's going to flip this time. I think it's going to be Carl Anthony Towns. I really do. I think he's going to he's going to make a leap. I, I'd like to say Wiggins. Obviously, he led the team last year, but I think it's going to be Towns this year. He looks absolutely determined to kind of take over leadership of this team. And you saw it in the preseason. He was finishing plays at the rim. I mean, he was he was he was putting back second second chance points, all that stuff. I mean, these are things that. I think he's going to absolutely take over games at times, and uh, I see him making a jump probably up into the low 20s points per game. I think Towns is going to be right at 20 points per game. I think Wiggins is going to be at like 23 or 24 points per game this year. Not because he's going to be more efficient, but his usage is still going to be higher than Carl's this year. Maybe we need to have like a lunch wager or something on this, (laughs) but I still think that he is a better slasher than anybody else on the team. He's going to get more dunks than anybody else on the team, including Carl, and he still has a repertoire of moves that are improving. His mid-range jump shot is surprisingly good, especially in today's era of basketball. He's going to be more effective again this year on the low block. He's got a lot of tools, and I think that he is out there to score. And for the same reason that we talked about why he doesn't get a lot of assists, I think he's more determined to be a scorer this year. And while he will become a, a better well-rounded player if all goes to plan, he will still maintain a scorer's mindset. And I think Carl is more focused on overall team reliability and equating towards the overall offense, whereas Andrew and Levine, to a certain extent as well, uh, are more out there to score, whereas Carl's out there to be kind of the captain of the offense. It will be interesting to see how close uh, Levine can get to those two this year. I think he is 18 or 19, maybe pushing 20 this year, but I don't see him competing with 
both of those guys, let alone whichever one actually does end up being the high scorer on the team. Yeah, he had he averaged fourteen last year, and he played in every game. So, I mean, if we can get if you can if he can start averaging eighteen, nineteen points, I mean, that would be a, not only a huge jump for the team, but a huge jump for him as well. So that'd be great. Well, remember, he came off the bench for a good portion of yep. the season last year, and there's no bench coming off for Levine this year. So it'll be interesting to see his pull up jump shot. Like I said, is just beautiful, a thing of beauty, and that's going to be the key. And it plays well off of Wiggins. All right, let's move on. Who's going to lead the team in rebounds this year? This one probably is easy, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to go with Carl Anthony Towns again. I think it's it's pretty easy. He he led the team last year, so uh, he is a monster freak athlete. He can get to get to pretty much any rebound that he wants to. I mean, he will absolutely lead this team by a mile. Yep, no explanation needed. Same thing with the assists per game. That's going to be Rubio. Who's going to lead the team in minutes per game? I'm going to go with Andrew Wiggins there. I think that the usage that he's going to get, uh, you know, like you touched on with that that scores mindset and stuff, I think he's going to be out there with a with a very high level of usage, and I think that that's going to that's going to jump up his minutes there quite a bit. I agree. I I actually think uh, Levine is going to out minutes Carl Anthony Towns too, just because of the nature of big man rotations they tend to not play. There are very few big men who play more than 38 minutes per game. Even Kevin Love in his high high volume days in the Minnesota offense didn't play more than 38 or 39 minutes per game. Uh, who's going to lead this team in steals? Ricky Rubio. He's a de- defensively at the point there. I mean, he's he is absolutely fantastic. You saw it last season. Um, I think he's going to do really, really well this year. Last year, Rubio had two steals a game, over two steals a game. So uh, I think he's he's going to average probably around there, if not a little bit better. As long as he stays healthy, I'm totally with you on that one. Who leads in blocks? Carl Anthony Towns, easily. I'd like I I I would think. That Gorgie's gonna take a step up and and be able to to, to kind of help with that or at least shoulder some of that load, but I still see it being Carl Anthony Towns. Hard to argue. Uh, the key is gonna be how much is the actual block or at least shot contesting gonna be improved by having Gorgie as an improved uh, defensive player, both from a positional standpoint and from an intelligence standpoint, and having Cole coming off and contesting shots on the on this uh, in the rotations. All right, last thing. Who is going to lead this team in minutes off of the bench this year? Shabazz Muhammad. I love this kid. I really do. I loved him coming out of UCLA. I think he's a fantastic player. He had a, you know, his struggles early on in his career, but he's really coming into his own now, and I think that he's found the role that, that fits him perfectly, and that is that sixth man coming off the bench. It's going to be best for his scoring totals. It's going to be best for his uh, shooting percentages, and it's going to be best for the team. So I really like Shabazz Muhammad. Agree on all fronts. I was kind of hoping you would say Chris Dunn so that I could argue with you. <laughs> Shabazz is perhaps the guy I'm most excited to see paired with Thibodeau and to see what he can bring out of him this year because he has energy to burn. He has energy all day, and just the notion that if he can get his head on straight and be in better position from time after time, that he doesn't over-pursue and run past guys and that sort of thing, he is going to be able to be an effective defensive player off the bench, and he's going to be that regular motor that he is uh, on the offensive glass. I, his three-point uh, shooting still is questionable. His outside shooting in general is questionable, but you know we'll take them as they come. So last thing, obviously, let's go on the record here. Are they making the playoffs? And if they are, what's their record and what's their seed? I've gone back and forth in my head about 512 different times trying to figure out whether or not they can they can jump the seed. I do I, do I think they have the ability to make the playoffs? Absolutely. This is a playoff laden team, a playoff laden roster. I think that this team is ready to make that jump 
They are a very young team, so I don't obviously see them going very far in the playoffs. But at this point, playoff basketball, even if it's a first-round exit to the Spurs, the Warriors, that's totally fine because it shows wheels of progress. So I think they make the playoffs. Where they fall seed-wise is tough. I think that Portland is going to be a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Obviously, Utah is going to be dramatically improved. Memphis is, is a great team as well. You've already got to rule out the top three seeds there. You're not going to catch the Warriors. You're not catching the Spurs. You're definitely not catching the Clippers. But but it falls down to that six, seven, eight seed there where they could very – I mean, they could go as high as six, to be quite honest. And I've got them probably falling somewhere in like the seven seed. If I, if I were going to be conservative, I'd say a seven seed. So our statistics have them in like somewhere between five and seven. I just – the Western Conference is still very good, and you're going to have – teams taking away from you at the top in the forms of Golden State, San Antonio, and the Clippers. I have Portland and Utah battling out for four and five, and that leaves uh, six, seven, and eight going to three of four teams between Memphis, Houston, Minnesota, and OKC. I think Memphis has more veteran savvy than do the Wolves, and they have a lot of talent. The problem is Marcus is getting old. Zach Randolph is known to break down, and he's getting up there. And he, I know he's playing for a contract, but still, you can never trust him all the way. And I'm sorry, Chandler Parsons, Gator, love him. One of my favorite players in the NBA, but he has not. His knee is a wreck. He's already had, and he just got a second big contract. I don't, I don't understand what Memphis was thinking. Why they, they got it. They gave Chandler Parsons a big contract, and it didn't work out the first time. And then Memphis decides that they're gonna go give him a big contract. I just, I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. Dallas gave him that contract, yeah, thinking that his knee would be healthy. Hollinger did give an interesting uh, explanation for why they signed him. They said they had two options. They could give a lot of money, max money, to a player that they thought was going to be at the upper echelon of free agency. And Chandler Parsons can both get to the basket, can create for others, and shoot the three if he is healthy. The problem, and Hollinger said he didn't want to give mid-level or overpay for a mid-level talent, so it made more sense for them to go spend money on Chandler Parsons. Um, you know, it comes down to if he's healthy or not. He, he's he's a good wing player, a fringe, you know, he's a He's like the fourth all-star replacement at the small forward position if he is healthy. I just I don't see them maintaining it. I know that it was an aberration that they started 28 guy or they rostered 28 guys last year. That won't happen again obviously, but I don't also trust them to stay healthy for the whole year and I don't trust every one of their players to be able to keep it going throughout the whole season. Also Tony Allen's getting old. They're starting a lot of fringe pieces uh at roster spots and on the bench. So they also lost Courtney Lee, who's an underrated player off their bench. I'm taking the Wolves to jump the Memphis Grizzlies. I think despite all of our optimism for this podcast, they're going to finish with about 46 to 48, or I'm sorry, 44 to 46 wins this year, probably on the low end of that. They get the eighth seed right behind Houston, and I think OKC finishes in that sixth spot because Stephen Adams is going to make a logical progression, and his canter can still play on offense. Oladipo is, I think, a bit overrated on the offensive end, but can play defense, and Russ is going to go ballistic. He's on a mission this year. And, you know, Billy Donovan, another Gator guy, I think he's a solid NBA coach. I think he got a little bit of the benefit of not being Scott Brooks with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. But so I'm I'm taking eighth seed, 45 wins. Uh, That may not make a ton of sense because the Western Conference is going to have to be pretty good for the eighth seed to win 45 games. But the second half of the Eastern Conference is still pretty questionable. And so I think that that's not out of the question. You know, I think we're going to have to wait one more year for them to be really in the conversation for lookout Warriors, lookout Spurs, here we come. Completely I think ne- agree. Next year we're over 50 wins. We're talking about 
we're talking about where we're going to sit in the playoff standings. We're going to get home court in the playoffs. Those are all conversations we have next year, but I think we have to slow our roll. I've seen as high as 52 or 53 win projections for them this year. The analytics sites love them, but, you know, this is a basketball this is a, you know, a live event, and they do have young guys who have to progress and understand and learn Tibbs' system, which is fairly complex. So they get out and run as high as 48, but right now let's be a little more conservative and hope that they can just get in the playoffs and do something here we haven't seen in 12 years. Yeah, and if they get to 50-plus wins, I mean, that will be a humongous, humongous jump for them, obviously. But but not only that, that'll put them probably somewhere in middle of the Eastern Conference or Western Conference. So, I mean, then you're looking at like a five seed maybe. They're knocking on the door um, then at so, that point of a home field or a home court playoff yeah, series. so, I mean, I wouldn't be, I, it would be great if they did. But again, like you said, temper expectations just a little bit because they are still a very, very young team. And this is their first, well, aside from Dunn, um, this is like their first season or this is their first season under Tibbs' system. So we'll see how how they gel, how they play, and, uh, you know, what, what Tibbs can get out of each and every player. And look, everything after the Clippers, they have their own flaws. Utah, they've got a lot of depth and a lot of good players. And I love Quinn Snyder as a coach, but they don't have a great player, especially with Gordon Hayward hurt. Portland, while their backcourt is outstanding, C.J. McCollum is still a liability on defense. Dame is not a plus defender by any stretch of the amount. He's a minus defender, which, I mean, he's going to outscore everybody, so it may not matter in the scheme of things. But they signed Evan Turner, which makes no sense because you put a ball-dominant guy next to Lillard and McCollum who need the ball all the time. Their center that they're running out there right now is Myers Leonard, which, love you, Illinois grad, but he's Myers Leonard. Let's take a step back. Alan Crabb, he's a shooter, but not much else. You know, a long guy, so he gets by on defense. But their roster construction doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I think they get that 4-5 seed just based on talent alone. They didn't see a lot of—they didn't really lose anybody meaningful off of last year, so that'll—I mean, that by default puts them in the 5 range, if nothing else. And then it comes down to— you know, Houston is going to be top five on offense. I'm very comfortable saying that. It comes down to are they not going to be my or bottom ten in defense? If they're in like the ten to twenty range on defense, then they're going to be they're going to be competing for like the three seed. But I I don't think that they have any chance because Clint Capella is their only relevant defensive player. Yeah, I don't see any defense coming out of Houston, and it pains me to say it because they I want them to be good. I do. I, I mean, I like the team. I think that they're they're solid. I like the collection of talent that they have there. But oh my goodness, if they if they if they could play any semblance of defense, that would be really greatly appreciated. Just for just for watching sake, obviously, you know, everyone loves to see a 130 to 120 point game. But uh, if, if if the Houston Rockets are, are in any way, shape, or form interested in playing defense, please, please feel free to do so because that would make it so much better for the, everybody. A minor anecdote: I'm so glad they didn't that the Wolves didn't sign Ryan Anderson. Oh, I absolutely. know that he is the pace and space stretch four guy, but oh my goodness, defense is such a myth for him. It, they already gave up a lot of points last year. The last thing they need is potentially the worst def- defensive four going out there and taking major minutes right now. All right, so we will come back next week with a wrap-up of a more league-wide prediction. Actually, we'll probably come back before next week, turn that episode around pretty quickly. Uh, that's it for this episode. The regular season starts tonight at Memphis. If you have any comments for this episode, you can reach me on Twitter at zk for trey That's Z-K-F-O-R-4Trey. Alex, what's your Twitter handle? It is at Alex P. Shun. That is at Alex P. Shun, S-H-U-N.